Want to get the edge in your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle delved deeper into the data behind all of the Premier League matches every single game week. We combine Pinnacle's sharp betting markets with the game's latest analytical metrics to help you find value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Just like that, we're back. It's EPL Insights on Pinnacle as we look ahead to the new Premier League season. Gary Wheeler, Jake Osgathorpe, the band is back together. I'm not sure what kind of band we actually are here. Rhythm and blues, uh, you know, country, rock. I, I'm not sure what you want to call it. We're just going to focus on the odds today and what we're looking at ahead of the new Premier League season. Let's call this your complete season preview as we head into match, uh, match week one in, in just a week's time. Uh, Jake, how's your summer? How have you been spending your time away from the Premier League? Um, my summer's been busy as you'd expect with a newborn. There's not been a lot of uh, of time to kind of take things in. It's all been hands on deck. So, yeah, looking forward to the football starting, actually, to have a nice side distraction from um, the day-to-day. And, yeah, it's promising to be a, a fantastic season. I mean, there's so many strong-looking teams, isn't there, going into, into the campaign and um, a couple of teams that are highly expected to really struggle at the other end. So... Yeah, obviously the transfer stuff as well that's been going on. Saudi Arabia kind of plucking all the aging players from the Premier League and thinking that they're doing, uh, getting a good deal. So yeah, it's, um, it's been, it's been interesting to keep tabs on everything that's going on. And, um, you know, we've got, we're going to cover everything, aren't we, in this podcast, go through all of it. You see, you're so highly rated. I'm surprised that Saudi hasn't come after you yet, Jake. <laughs> well, they, they did. They gave me a, a ridiculous offer, um, one that I shouldn't really have turned down, but just a relocation package, you know. It's hard to go out there. Um, quite settled in Manchester right now. Right. Um, over here, I'm not sure if you heard, there's this player, he's pretty good, named Lionel Messi that's took, taken over. North American football or domestic season has been up and running. There's been a continental competition as well and we've got stuck into the women's world cup as well so it's not as if we've taken time away from football but the premier league is clearly the crown jewel and we're looking forward to digging into it yet again from a data perspective last season a batter campaign not only for manchester city but for us on the podcast as well some top picks we're going to add some different details some different layers to the podcast this year to make it a little bit more interactive we're going to follow along with our play so you can follow along as well we're really excited about what we're going to bring to the table over the course of this Premier League season. As you said, Jake, I mean, we're doing our preseason prognostications, trying to figure out who has the potential to do what this season. It's entirely unpredictable. Three new managers in the league. Of course, Pochettino's back, Chelsea, uh, Postacoglu at Spurs. Uh, Ariola, I think, a very interesting um, signing for a new manager, with all due respect to Gary O'Neill, at Bournemouth. Uh, they're doing some good things down there. When you look at it, you can go eight or nine deep and make an argument that they have a clear shot at the top four. I, I think that this season could be even more unpredictable than what the Brightons and the Brentfords of the world pro- provided for us last season. Uh, yeah, I don't think it will be. I, I think it's going to be very much oh, back to the establishment. Okay. Yeah, If you think about it, <clears throat> it kind of similar thing happened in was it 15, 16 when Leicester won the title where you've got probably four of the big six just were just were rubbish, like really bad. Chelsea finished the bottom half. Um, I think United were nowhere near it at that time. Um, and then what did they all do? They all responded, bounced back, and it was kind of back to the norm again for another four or five years. And I just think that's going to happen again this time around. You know, I think that the one I'm most really? worried about is Spurs in terms of kind of hitting that bounce back, especially if Kane leaves. But... Liverpool are going to be way better this year. Arsenal are going to be good again. I, th- I think they'll challenge for the title again. United are going to be better again. Another year under Ten Hag, some interesting signings. Chelsea are going to be better. Good coach, squad that's well suited to how he likes to play. Um, and, you know, you've got Newcastle to throw in the mix as well, who I think will probably be at the same level, maybe if not a tiny bit better, they've strengthened their 11. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's very much going to be a case of the top seven definitely the top six if you exclude Spurs will be effectively just Man United Man City Arsenal Liverpool Chelsea um, and Newcastle but just in a different order Um, so yeah for all Brighton and Aston Villa impressed last season Villa in particular have brought in some interesting players 
I don't think they'll be able to to hit the same levels. And I don't think Brian will hit the top six again. He might hit seventh, but yeah, I think this is this is the season where we kind of realist realism kind of comes back into place, and and the big boys, the big spenders, the big budgets, they rise to the top again. Uh, we've gone through the exercise of listing teams where we think they'll finish one through twenty. We'll get to that in a few moments' time. I, I think that you'll see, based upon my list, I disagree with that sentiment. I think that there's a good standard of manager um, at, at some of these typically middle of the road clubs. Some clubs are continue to rebuild, like Chelsea. Some new money's come in. Some old money's there. Um, and we're very much still in the mix in terms of the transfer window where we stand um, as of right now. So uh, we're doing this in, in the first couple of days of August, th- this podcast, and obviously things will change, and we'll bring you up to speed each and every week on EPL Insights. Uh, plenty of player movement. You mentioned it in the transfer market. Declan Rice to Arsenal, Andre Onana, the David De Gea era, Donut at Old Trafford. Um, uh, McAllister goes to Liverpool, some of the big dogs adding some significant players. Is there a signing or signings or potentially a club that jumps off the page to you that's really done some good business so far? Well, I'd, I'd highlighted about 10, 11 clubs and just put a sentence next to each of them. So I'll just go through them because I just think that, that some of them are really interested. So for Arsenal, Rice, Havertz, Timber, they improved their starting 11, which I think is fantastic. Yes, they probably overpaid a little bit for Rice in terms of 100-odd million. But with those players, it brought tactical flexibility to the team. It means that, you know, if, if, if Saliba does get injured, Timber can slot in at centre half, Ben White can play right back or vice versa. Um, you know, if, if another midfielder goes down or if, if a striker, if, if Jesus is injured, Havertz can slot up front. I know he's planning on playing him as an eight. So they've got that flexibility. Rice can also fill in at centre half if needs be. Um, so I think that's smart business for them. I think they've improved. Villa, they've spent a lot of money on Diaby and Pau Torres. Kind of feel a bit sorry for Mings and Konsa, who finished the season really well for Villa, but will probably be sat on the bench, the pair of them. <laughs> feel sorry. Well, they, they, they finished so well, Villa, and they were a crucial yeah, part of it, did. that triangle of, of Martinez, Konsa and Mings. Um, and, you know, Diego Carlos, was obviously they signed last season, out for the season uh, early yeah. on, and now they brought Torres in. You'd expect those two to be the, the starting partnership so um you know they've splashed the cash they probably want a bit of return on investment there i think brighton as brighton do have recruited very smartly um you know mccallister's gone i think kaisedo probably will leave in the end before the window closes but they've already brought in yeah, we'll see on yeah, that they've already brought in mahmoud dahoud who is a very classy footballer um, and should suit them from a ball progression perspective and they've also, you know, like Brian, they probably signed six or seven South Americans two years ago that we've never heard of that will look really good. Um, there's a, there's a guy at the minute in who's kind of tore up the summer league, hasn't he? The left winger, forgetting his name, but you're just thinking, you know, how many more of these kind of diamonds in the rough do they have? Um, but that's just their business model. They're brilliant. Um, Liverpool, they've addressed midfield needs and they've got old players and big wages off the books in Henderson, Firmino. It looks like Fabinho could be on the way as well. Um, City, I'm expecting incomings. I don't think they've even started their business really. They've bought Kovacic in, haven't they? But I think Mahrez and Gundogan will be big losses for them. Um, but again, they were on the older side on big wages. So it probably is a smart move for them to kind of move on. I think United are probably one of the teams at the minute where I'd put at the top end of the, of the winning the transfer market, uh, transfer window, just because they've, they've addressed problem areas. They needed, needed a number nine. Hoyland's coming in, whether he's going to be brilliant or not. Doesn't really matter at this stage because they've paid, you know, an 60 million ish fee, which is like not extortionate. And he's probably going to be on fairly small wages compared to some of the other players at the club. So in the long term, it's not a massive risk of an investment. Um, a lot of potential upside and they just needed a nine, didn't they? Because Martial just can't stay fit. Mount will strengthen that midfield. Onana is an upgrade on De Gea just from a ball playing perspective, which is something that Tenag wants. I think Newcastle had a good good window so far. They've only bought in Barnes and Tonali, but I think they walk straight into the 11 and they make their 11 better. Um, concern for Forrest, not impressed with the business that they've done so far. And I know they had, you know, basically 100 players that signed last season. So they've still got some of those to bed in. You know, the, the players that they brought in don't really inspire confidence that they can avoid relegation with more ease this time around. Same with Spurs. I think they need a lot more. You know, Madison... I'm not a massive fan of him myself. Um, I, I think he probably was at the back end of his Leicester te- career, just kind of a good player with a bad team. Uh, be interesting if Kane stays, how he could potentially flourish with good players around him. 
Um, West Ham are massive alarm bells ringing right now, for me anyway. They've got £100 million burning in the pocket, maybe more if Antonio moves out to Saudi, but they are desperate for incomings. And, and it seems as though, well, as you would, wouldn't you? If you're a selling club and West Ham come knocking, you had an extra £10 million quid on because you know they've got the money. And, and that's something that they're going to have to deal with West Ham because they've had to walk away from a couple of deals already. Um, and then another major concern is Wolves because, yeah, they, they've already got rid of Collins. Um, it looked as though Kilman was going to leave as well. If Napoli would have just been an extra five million quid or something like that, he would have been gone. But they just seem to be in a real kind of sticky patch, whether it's from an FFP perspective, I think it probably is, that they can't go and spend big money. Um, and ultimately, that could have a big knock-on effect if Lopetegui, who's already said he's not happy, if he doesn't get any players through the door that could potentially help him, then um, they could be a team that tumbles. So that was kind of like a very almost elevator-pitched overview for teams that I thought were of interest from the transfer window. Apologies if, if I've not mentioned your team there. And that just kind of, that kind yeah. of means... That, that your team's not bad, but not good in terms of, or in my opinion, in terms of recruitment. Lots of listeners are going to be very angry with you for just ignoring them. And uh, it's not just about the additions. I think that what's going to be critical here for the duration of the window is who leaves, what kind of player movement we actually see with players losing, uh, teams losing top players. Harry Kane at Spurs is front and center because the way that you project or predict their season to go I mean, Harry Kane has a massive influence on that. The exodus, and that's what it's been, the exodus at Chelsea. You know, what does out with the old, in with the new actually look like with a new manager? There's some significant questions there as well. Um, so it, it's not all straightforward. Even even the, the, the losses at City, and it might not be done if Kyle Walker ends up going. Um, we'll, we'll see what that looks like. So there are various clubs. It's not just about who you add. It's about what you can afford to give up and how things change or what other players emerge or come into the club um, uh, to, to fill those some significant gaps um, uh, throughout clubs in the, in the, in the Premier League. Um, we'll, we'll get into more individual teams and concerns and numbers in, in a few moments' time. Obviously, uh, three new clubs – come up like they do every year into the Premier League. Last season, we were treated to, like Fulham was outstanding over the course of the season in their first season up from promotion. Nottingham Forest was managed to survive, stay alive just by the skin of it, um, but made a ton of different moves in order to put themselves in a position to stay up. I just wonder what we think this season will look like with the new boys, Burnley, Sheffield United, and Luton Town. Who could have imagined that? Even a year ago that Luton Town would be back or be in uh, the, the Premier League. What do you make of the new boys, the newly promoted clubs? Um, it's it's going to be very hard for Luton and Sheffield United, I think, to survive. Now, Luton, they are of the kind of Brighton-Brentford ilk in the way in which they run the football club. They are smart. They don't spend a lot of money. They play within their means, which means that they, you know, they're never a, a concern for financial fair play, which in the championship is just an absolute killer. I mean, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan and we've been suckered by it a couple of times where you get two or three years to contend for promotion. And if you don't, then you're literally hanging on for dear life for falling into League One. So Luton are completely the opposite. They're very stable. You know exactly what you're going to get year on year, which has generally been a top half championship finish. In the last couple of years, they've, they've kind of pushed on and pushed on, hit the playoffs and then won the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they're, they're a team that will be very prepared for life in the Premier League and how difficult it's going to be. And they'll also be prepared for the championship next season if they were to go down. I mean, that, their signings so far this season suggests to me that they not resigned to going down, but they're almost planning to build a really good championship squad to kind of bounce straight back up. Because if you go down, you pick up the parachute payments, bounce straight back up, you've got a little bit of extra cash to spend on that second go around. And and the movement in the market really suggests that that's kind of what the plan is. They're planning two steps ahead. Think, hoping for the best this season, but really keeping the long view in mind, aren't yeah, they? They're, they're very realistic. You know, they're, they're not they're not going into this Premier League season with the wool pulled over their eyes. Like they are very realistic in the sense that they are probably the smallest club ever to grace the Premier League, or one of. And there's been quite a few going back plenty of years. But in in recent memory, they're one of the, the smallest clubs uh, with probably the, one of the smallest budgets the Premier League's ever seen in a relative perspective. And they they'll be you know they they they're not going to shy away from that. They know exactly what they're getting themselves in for. Uh, and the fact they've even reached it is remarkable in itself. But 
I, I do think they'll surprise many people. I, I don't think they'll finish bottom of the table. I think that I, I, I think that they'll finish maybe second bottom. But I, I you know, there's a lot of people. There's, there's bookmakers <laughs> over here that have kind of priced up Luton not to win a game at two hundred to one, and I'm like, they're not that bad. You know, they, they, they are. They're a very difficult team to play at Luton at, at their stadium. They're going to cause a lot of teams problems in the direct style. Um, yeah, I, I think they might be. They might surprise quite, quite a few people, Luton. So. Uh, I've got them going down. I, I think it'll be a massive struggle for them, but I do think that they will not be as bad as what people think. Sheffield United, obviously, being a Sheffield Wednesday fan, um, you know, it, I, I kind of put allegiance to one side when doing these kind of assessments anyway. And I've already spoken to quite a few of my Blades friends um, and they completely agree with everything that, that I'm thinking in the sense that there's, there's just too many off-field issues at the moment. Like they tried to sell the club. They, the club nearly went into administration last season. Um, they've got massive issues when it comes to finances. They can't spend any money to bring players in. They've lost their best player, Illuman and Jai, who's just gone to Marseille. Um, and they're all resigned to relegation. Like they don't give them much chance at all. And I, I kind of agree. I do think if they are to stay up, it's purely going to be based on their home form, similar to what Nottingham Forest did last season, because at home in the championship, yeah. they were, I think there's since 2014, since we started collecting data, only Fulham in their promotion season had a better underlying process at home than Sheffield United did. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically going to be key for them is, is in terms of surviving, but I still don't see enough quality in that squad. And Burnley are kind of the exact opposite end of the scale. They're a team that are kind of ready made for this level. I think not only with the style of play that they bring yeah. to the, to the, to the table, they're very, um, you know, they take risks. They're very brave on the ball. Uh, they don't mind trying to dominate possession. And they've got quite a lot of really good young players as well, um, which is something that the others don't really have. They're all, the, the other two squads are very kind of old and experienced championship heads. And Burnley, they, they did a lot of smart recruiting last season, obviously with the parachute payments, which helped to bring in some good players from across Europe. Um, and in company, they've got a good coach. So I would be hugely surprised if Burnley were in the relegation mix. Um, I think I've kind of got maybe 13th, 14th, something like that in my predicted 20. Um, yeah, they, they, they'll be good to watch, um, Burnley this season and, and they'll be, they'll be one of the teams that will go toe to toe with the big boys and, you know, not have a go, but they'll play their own game, which I think will be really cool to watch. We'll see how this all plays out. Certainly plenty of questions. Burnley seems the most stable and the most likely to kick on and do something. Uh, we'll see how they fare. I wonder from a managerial perspective, Jake, what stands out to you? Poch to Chelsea, Pasacoglu to to Spurs, Ariola to Bournemouth. These are the three new boys. Uh, Whether you think either one of those three could have a significant impact or perhaps there's a club that you're surprised have stuck with their manager heading into the new season. They they, they play a critical role. And I think like what you saw from, from managers like Eddie Howe, Unai Emery last season, I think that they made good teams that much better. And I just wonder if you kind of see the way forward for anyone based upon that this season as well. Yeah, so start with the guys that are, that are new. Well, I say new. I mean, Pochettino's managed, hasn't he, before in the Premier League. But um, I'm quite excited to see what Chelsea look like because if you look at the Chelsea squad right now and you kind of compare it to the Tottenham squad when, when Poch took over back then, the the kind of pro- profile in terms of <clears throat> age um, and the kind of all round player style is very similar. But I think in this Chelsea squad, he's got a lot more quality already, especially in the in the defence and midfield. So I think this squad looks ready made for him to kind of implement his style. And really, I, I'm expecting Chelsea to take quite a big leap this season from last season. Obviously, <laughs> it's not going to be hard. They finished twelfth, but. Um, you know that, that I would. I think that they will be contending to finish in that top four. <laughs> I think that the there's a massive upside to this Chelsea squad. It's been built with forward planning in mind. As much as we kind of laugh at Todd Bowley and the amount of money that he spent over the last few years, um, <clears throat> all the players that he's brought in have been young, like you know, on massive long contracts. So they're going to be at the club for a long time. So the the kind of squad that Poch can nurture can you know almost use them as like a blank slate and just say right, this is how we're doing it. Um, and I think that in Poch, they've got a manager now that will not be getting sacked anytime soon. You know, they went through managers like no tomorrow, yes, last season. Poch is going to be here for the foreseeable. And I think that's, that stability is going to help, no doubt. But just watching them in preseason, watching how they, that, how they've been playing a lot of, you know, like, like Matson, for example, who was on loan at Burnley last season, 
been getting quite a lot of minutes in preseason. I think it's quite exciting. A player that no one would really have expected, playing left wing, has been playing central midfield. Um, and obviously, you've got the additional quality. You've got some experience, the likes of Thiago Silva, Sterling. So I think the squad is is almost purpose-built for Pochettino, if that makes sense. Whether that was the plan all along, I doubt it. But um, yeah, I, I'm expecting Chelsea to be maybe not back to their old selves contending for titles, but I think they'll be up there in the in the top four conversation. Tottenham, they they're going to be in, they're going to be fun to watch. You know, Postacoglu at Celtic, they were a very attack-minded team. They they're going to play, you know, contribute plenty of entertainment to you know your viewing when it comes to the Premier League. I just wonder about their defence still. Because if they're playing such gung-ho football moving right. forward, they're going to need to sign a couple of defenders because that defence at the moment will be picked apart. Um, and I think we're both in agreement that Iriola at Bournemouth could be... Um, yeah, that he could definitely get them to stay up quite comfortably, maybe push for top half, just because they've got a decent enough squad. I mean, they spent quite a lot of money in January last year and they've added a couple of extra players this time around that are quite exciting. And the style that he plays with is very kind of catered to this Premier League. Not so much the Liga. Yeah. Like, if you watch the Rio Baicano team last season, they were pressing like madmen all over the pitch. Um, I think there's only Bayern Munich last season that, that generated more final third turnovers than Rio Baicano, which kind of tells you what you're going to expect. They're going to be trying to nick the ball high up the pitch. And yeah, it's probably not going to work sometimes. We're going to get caught out and playing against the better teams, but it should be more than enough to see them beat lesser teams and, I'm quite excited to see what they come up with. And I think the other really interesting thing is that he overachieved with Rio, a team that are, you know, in a massive city in Spain that are a very small club compared to their rivals. And Bournemouth, while there's not too many big teams around them, like geographically, they are generally quite a small club. And I think that he could get them punching above their weight, a bit like Eddie Howe did all those years ago. So, yeah, quite excited about uh, Bournemouth and Chelsea's. Really interesting to see how Spurs kind of set up. And then other teams that, that are still in the league, you know, there's obviously massive talk about Marco Silva potentially leaving. I think that would leave Fulham a little bit shorthanded, especially if Mitrovic ends up going to Saudi as well. The Crystal Palace one was really interesting to me. The fact that they stuck with Roy Hodgson, um, I, I found that fascinating because, yeah, the results were brilliant at the back end of the season. But you also have to take into, into perspective that he didn't play a team in the top half. Every single team he played was in the bottom half. So... You give Patrick Vieira those fixtures, I'd expect him to keep them up as well because the squad was good enough. So I wonder if that's a little bit of recency bias that's crept into that decision or maybe they've approached a couple of managers that turned them down and they just kind of thought, well, right, well we'll just stick with Roy for now. But um, yeah, that that was an interesting one for me. I thought they had an, an opportunity to kind of rebuild again, maybe get like a Graham Potter in, someone a bit more of a project manager. Um, for the long term, whereas Roy Hodgson kind of seems feels like it's just another. He's just going to see see out the season, then he'll probably retire. You know, um, he's you know, he is old. He's an old guy, isn't he? he's about seventy five ish, something like that. So you just wonder. Don't be ageist here. I'm, I'm not being ageist. We're, we're not an ageist podcast. I'm not. I'm not so. being ageist. I'm just speaking the truth. You know, from a long term planning perspective, you kind of want someone who's going to be, you know, there to almost. Set but I, in but, place. but I kind of la- I I kind of laugh at this notion of like long term planning when it comes to your manager. Like how many clubs ended up firing their manager, sacking their manager last season? Like there's such volatility in this league that you know when you look at your projections, there's going to be multiple teams in the top half of the table where their manager will go this season. And th- there's some situations that are a little bit more tenuous than others. But I think you can circle some teams right now that say Lopetegui at Wolves, like a, a, a massive question mark. There's going to be significant pressure on Moyes at West Ham coming off well, winning a trophy. Um, I, I don't you, think it's a- Marco Silva. You you already you already brought up Roy at Palace. It's, there's going to be a lot of question marks, and, and and even early in the season, situations to monitor before you go make a bet because all of this comes into play in terms of the way that we're looking at these teams. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are going to be a lot of managerial changes. I don't think there'll be as many as last season. There's 14 last season. Well, which it's tough to have more than last yeah. season. That's, it was ridiculous. It was like one, one every two and a half game weeks. Um, yeah, very, very, very silly. There'll not be that many this time around. Um, I just thought, you know, you generally, the teams that change the managers are the ones that are around the bottom end of the table. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the two teams that didn't change the manager stayed up quite comfortably in the end. Um, Nottingham Forest and West Ham 
everyone else changed the manager and we're still scrap, scraping around. Like I, I honestly, I think long-term yeah. succession planning, long-term planning in general, sticking to your guns. I, I think there's a lot to like about that kind of approach rather than scattergun because at the end of the day, you know, you've got Leicester Leeds and Southampton have gone down. They've sat the managers. It hasn't worked. Well, now you've just, you know, for example, Leicester, you had Brendan Rodgers in there who was a long-term project manager. You're going down to the championship and now you don't have a long-term project manager. You have to start all again, you know? Whereas at least if Nottingham Forest had have gone down to the championship, Steve Cooper would have probably been there and they'd have been in a great place to bounce straight back up. So, um, yeah, uh, that is a really interesting thing that we're seeing at the moment. I think all the teams at the top end of the table, you, you see the benefits of that long-term planning, even from a Brighton perspective. I know that they've got to end up with a different manager, but that wasn't by choice but they'd already earmarked the Zerbi as a replacement because they kind of thinking that far ahead. And what, and what a pick. And what a pick. I mean, he's, he made, again, a manager that comes in that, that makes an already good team that much Same better. With it, yeah, exactly. In De exactly. So I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but there, there's still a volatility to it all. You mentioned Steve Cooper. I mean, he could be the first manager out based upon the way that that club works uh, this season. Uh, no, no fault of his own. It's just the state of play at Nottingham Forest. Before we get into some of the markets, um, obviously the window's still open um, for the rest of this month. I, I want to start with Kane, then go to some others. But Harry Kane is the one player, it seems like right now, that can determine the fate of their club more than anyone else. If Kane stays, Spurs probably competing for a European European football next season. If not, how far can they drop? This seems to be the move that everyone's waiting for, not only to see what this will mean for Spurs, but there's going to be a knock-on effect on the market as well. Number nines haven't been moving freely in this market. So what do you make of the Kane scenario and the potential implications on the market as well? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um I think, well, my opinion is that Spurs should sell him. They should they should sell him. Um, he's got last year on his contract. You don't want to lose him for free transfer. Similar to what we're seeing with Kylian Mbappe, right? Um, and if they if they sell him, they can reinvest that and make their overall team better. Because at the minute, it doesn't look like Daniel Levy is willing to put his money his hand in his pocket and actually buy players. Maybe if he went out and spent some money, then Kane would look at the team and go, actually, we're getting a bit of support now. I might sign a new contract. So kind of chicken and egg there. I also think that Spurs would still be okay if Kane left. And I'm not saying okay as in they're going to finish in the top four contend for titles, which they have done previously. But I still think they'd finish in top seven because I think Postacoglu then, you know, he's, he's not got one superstar that he has to shoehorn or treat differently or anything like that. He's got Richarlison, who, you know, many people might laugh at being a number nine, but he starts up front for Brazil. So you've got to be pretty good to do that. Uh, he had a bad season last season, but again, he was adjusting to a new team, a new lifestyle, playing down in London, all sorts of different pressures. He plays it up front then. You've got Kulosevsky right, Son left, and Madison in the 10. And you've got a different looking front four already. Whether it's as, you know, it's probably wouldn't be as good as, uh, as if Kane was in the 11, but it's still, in my opinion, top half kind of level. Um, and like I said, you then get to reinvest and kind of strengthen things in midfield and defense. So, I think if it's easier said than done, but I think if, if Kane was to go, I think it would probably be not beneficial in the long term for Tottenham because Kane's such a, a good player. But it, if, if that's the, if it's keep Kane and don't buy anyone else or sell Kane and strengthen the team, like at the end of the day, they've had Kane for how many years? They've won nothing. Nothing. Like, yes, he's a brilliant player, but you've won nothing. So try something different. Try moving him on and build a team. So, yeah, there's that option, that option there. And, and again, like where we go, it looks like Bayern Munich's the only outcome right now. But would you would you see Man United putting a late late bid in if it's getting close to the window? He's still not signed a contract. He's still there. Well, I, I think they, I think they would have if they thought they could have landed him uh, as their target. And financial fair play plays a part as well. Not so much in the fee that's paid, but but in terms of the salary for the players. For Harry Kane to move, he's in stay in the Premier League. He's looking for lucrative money, and I'm not sure what clubs right now, based on the ownership situation, still being unknown in terms of what the future looks like at Manchester United. I just don't think that there's a landing spot. I don't think that if he leaves, he stays in the Premier League. If we had this conversation three months ago, I would have given you a different answer. 
than where we're at today. It's Bayern Munich or he stays at Spurs. But I just, just think that there could be a massive effect um, just on the market, on the Premier League table, and what we think about Spurs and where the value may be around them, whether Kane stays or, or goes. Yeah. I think, um, I think lastly, before just, we get just into touching it, on that, I think that's really interesting because the market would definitely swing one way. Um, and, and I, but there might be some value be, based on what you said, Richarlison, yeah. new team, providing other options. That that might, if you're looking at a season point total, that might you might want to lean to the exactly, overplay yeah. because that number might drop. Right now, it's at sixty one point five in terms of overall points for the season, yeah. and you might say, "Well, Kane here, Kane not here," and how that might influence your decision. Yeah. When the market's zigging, we're going to be zagging on the Spurs front, that is for sure. Yes, a hundred percent. We're both in line with that. Um, very quickly, is there a team that you like going into the season yet they remain incomplete? because their transfer business is not done. Who are you looking at that needs to go out and make that definitive move, either to take them over the top, whatever that expectation may be, or, or, or just fill out a squad that, you know, you're really keen on, you really like what they're doing, but they just need something a little bit more. Uh, it would be Liverpool. I think they've they've got two-thirds of the midfield rebuild. Um, and another linked with Romeo Lavia. I'd like to see him go get Caicedo. I think that'd be a real statement. If they went and got Caicedo, put him in the middle with McAllister and Soboschlai, then I think they're serious contenders for the title. I already think that they will be, even if they just play with, um, whether it's Thiago in the, in the DM or, you know, McAllister plays slightly deeper and you play Curtis Jones further forward. I think that that one world class holding midfielder, a bit of a destroyer, but can also be a little bit tactically flexible. You know, we saw him at Brighton play at right back quite a bit as well. So you might get that in-game interchange with Trent, which I think would be really interesting to see. Um I, I think that would be a real statement. I think that would be that would be the one that I'd like to see because I think it would make the the Premier League more entertaining at the top. See, I'm not sure if they need a player like that. I think that you might want a player that's a little bit more progressive in terms of attacking play. This is the DNA of Liverpool. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, if he's going to play there for England, even if he's shifting up from right back, and I've seen multiple, by the way, Premier League teams playing this way. They end up playing in a shape where one of the fullbacks goes up, plays centrally, they play three at the back, shift back, rotate. That's Trent Alexander-Arnold's job. I'm not sure if you need a shield. I think that you just need more ball-playing, attack-minded players. This Liverpool side last year was an abomination in terms of defensive play. Their expected goals against was through the roof because they gave up so many chances. I don't think there's any move that they can make that's going to be able to solidify that team at the back. They need their defenders to play a little bit more solid and be a little bit more reliable, Jake. But I'd go the other way. I think play to your strengths. I think they do need another athletic um, midfield player, another player that can provide some legs in the midfield. But I think that you can maybe get a player a little bit of a different profile than Nick Caicedo. Those are just my thoughts on Liverpool specifically. It's interesting because I love the moves that they made um, based on the players that they got rid of because I think it's going to take this team forward. Milner, Henderson, Fabinho, all have been great players for the club for so many years, but Last year, they just locked those legs in the midfield. Now they're completely rebuilding, and I think it's going to be better. And I don't think that they're done. And I do think that they're going to add, and I do think they're a team to absolutely be reckoned with this season. In addition to Liverpool, Chelsea clearly need help in the midfield. Spurs, as you documented, need help at the back. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential movement that that is required, especially at the bottom of the table. If we look at relegation, there's so many teams that need to strengthen. And players going on loan. There's not a lot of money, a lot of, not a lot of finances at play here that can go on um, and, and really allow these teams to make big big money moves. With, with Saudi Arabia coming into the market, I think it's really affected the smaller clubs than it has been the bigger clubs. So there, there's significant movement required for me, at least at the bottom of the table over the next yeah, few I think the, an interesting one just from who stays, who goes, is what Manchester City do. Because they've lost Gundogan and Mahrez, two very established players. Like, do they trust the youth and play Foden in the Gundogan role and Cole Palmer out on the right in the Mahrez role? Lewis at right back if Walker leaves, like, do they go down that route? Or will we see them do something pretty special and bring in some good players? Because there's been talks of Rafinha. Obviously, there's the Mbappe yeah. saga going on. Just put it out there. 
Manchester City signing Mbappe. I don't know. Like stranger things have happened. They have a big number hanging over their head. It's 115 uh, potential breaches. I mean, they need to tread lightly here. That's why I think there's been s- such a delicate approach, well, seemingly yeah. delicate I mean, just, approach that behind the scenes might be a little bit different with with yeah. Bardiel. Like that's that's the big one. Another another center back. So we'll see how that plays out. Previous years they were just paid, got that deal over the line. But um, this charitable element that's been in the past of City getting players on a decent dollar value other than Jack Grealish. I think that that's grinded to a halt and simply come to an end. Uh, shall we dig into some futures markets here? They're all available on Pinnacle. Uh, go there. The sharpest, the best odds that you can find in the market. Manchester City odds on to go on and win the title again. Minus 135. Arsenal the second favorite at plus 497. Liverpool at plus 726. Manchester United at 1,001. And it goes down from there. I can't even count the number for Luton Town. Plus 256,762 <laughs> if you want to punt there. Um, <laughs> way out. Uh, but all the markets are there. Is there a number where you can find find some value? Or it makes some real sense making a futures play on a team that's going to go on and win the Premier League. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually going to back both Arsenal and Liverpool to win the league. So basically opposing Manchester City. Um, I think City are the most likely title winners, but I think the value lies in backing Arsenal and Liverpool. So two things can be true. Manchester City are the team that I think will are most likely to win it, but I think we can have some, you know, there's value in the other two, basically. And, and, you know, there's plenty of reasons why. I mean, how many times are they going to get away with giving teams a head start? Let's be honest. Oh, two of the last four title wins across the last five seasons, they've overturned a near double-digit points deficit. Um, The one season that they didn't was Liverpool, and that was basically, they gave them too much of a head start, they couldn't overturn it. And I think there's a chance that, whether it's just City trying to, I don't know, Give maybe it's just too easy for them. Maybe they just want to give teams a head start to make you know the thrill of the chase, make it more interesting <laughs> for themselves. But um, yeah, I don't think that's a good habit to get into, especially when teams like Liverpool and Arsenal are improving. In my opinion, um, you know they they've lost Gundogan, they've lost Mares, Walker could well be on his way. So that's another one. They're also going to be in seven competitions next season. Now I, I say that lightly because you've got the Community Shield and the European Super Cup at the start of the season. But still, the European Super Cup comes in between the first couple of league matches. They've got the Club World Cup in mid-season as well, which is going to give them a bit of a fixture logjam after January. And then they've got the usual four. So they've got all those matches to try and fit in. Thirdly, they they were the best team last season, according to the data, but they were below the standard that was being set uh, under Pep, basically. The seven seasons he's been in charge, they've averaged 1.6 expected goal difference per game. This last season it was 1.3, so they were slightly below that level that we've seen over an average. Um, and even if they, you know, they, the results improved after the slight tactical tweak, uh, it, they only upped their expected goal difference per game to 1.35. So it wasn't even you know, massively imp- improved. Still an exceptional level, and generally that kind of number is enough to win titles most most seasons. But I just think that the challenges Liverpool and Arsenal will be able to close the gap they give themselves a great chance and we start with Arsenal just just from a transfer perspective I think they've they've definitely strengthened their 11 which is important and it's something that you have to do when you're trying to chase down um, you know a title well probably the best one of the best teams we've ever seen in the Premier League but it's something that we've not seen a lot of teams do recently you know you think Tottenham they got so close but their 11 was good and you know everyone was looking through the 11 it was like right well we can't replace him we can't replace him you can like you can always improve your starting eleven, and it's good for competition. It's good for internal, you know, just challenging each other. And I think that Arsenal doing that will definitely see them take another step forward. And that's something they've done under Arteta since he's come in. Is every season they've got better from the underlying numbers perspective, from a finishing perspective in terms of uh, where they've come on the table. Uh, and last season they were neck and neck with Man City according to the underlying data until game week twenty nine. And the final nine game weeks was basically where it all fell apart. There was injury issues. There was, you know, there's potentially the pressure that's been put on them by Man City catching them. But I think that having that happen to them is only going to be a positive thing moving forward because they know what to expect if it happens again. 
if they get into a lead, they know what to expect. They brought in players that are big characters. He brought in Kai Havertz, who's won everything there is to win in the game, pretty much, bar in the World Cup. That you know, he he's he knows what's what it's like to be in those kind of situations. Declan Rice, who's going to be a very strong leader, a strong voice. I think obviously he's not played in high enough level to be able to compete for titles, but I think that'll give them a bit more steel in that running if it does come down to it. Um, and the price, just generally at plus four ninety seven, I think it's. It's very fair. Um, and I think we're both pretty sweet on Liverpool, aren't we? Well, I was just going to mention your, your Arsenal take. I have a completely contrasting perspective. We'll get into it, but I, I don't have Arsenal finishing my top four. Yeah, it's very this controversial. I thought, they, I, thought they, I thought they showed their warts at the end of the year. They lost Saliba. They lost their way. They finished the season 3-3-3 three, three, and three, down the stretch. And I would take the side of the argument that I think that Odegaard's legit. There's certain players in this side that are legit top, top players. I think that players like Martinelli overachieved, uh, punched above his weight, uh, and Ketty has stepped up. I mean, I, I just don't think that he that he's the player that he showed for the few weeks that Gabriel De Jesus was out uh, for a lengthy period of time. I, I, I don't love the recruitment. Kai Havertz hasn't been on it for the past two seasons. Been played um, in the wrong position. I think that they Havertz. needed more attack. That, but but that's fine. I just I we'll see how he fits into this Arsenal side. I think that they're not as strong in terms of having progressive fullbacks that 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 go forward and really can attack the play. Pinnacle set their season point total at seventy six point five. This is a team that had eighty four points last season. So what's the market suggesting there? Like cl- clearly that they kind of are more aligned in my thinking that they're going to take a step back this year and not take a step forward. I'm not sure how much better they actually or, are. So I'm not touching our market thinking or, that the overall quality of the Premier League's increased in the sense that Chelsea are going to be better. Tottenham are going to be better than last season, in which case you're going to have to drop a couple of points off the totals. But if Arsenal are going to be title contenders, they're going to be going well over 80 points. There's no chance that they're yeah, going to I'd, win yeah, the Premier I'd take League. The over. And, and, and for me, I'm, I'm just not touching it because I think there, there might be actual some regression this season from Arsenal. I'm not convinced. I, I do like Liverpool. They are my pick to win the Premier League. And at plus 726, I think there's some real good value there. Uh, they obviously had a hangover. They, what did they play? 63 games the season prior. And with an older s- squad, they look completely out of it. I think that Klopp changing their way near the end of the season, they went on an incredible run at the end of the year to somehow threaten for Champions League football at the end. Trent Alexander-Arnold, he continues to grow. I think they now have him playing the right position. Players like Curtis Jones were outstanding down the, down the end of the season. They had the second best XG last year at 80.77. Uh, that's a big number. And for their point total, to be at 75.5. I take the over at minus 115 all day because I think they're going to be above 80 points this year. I think they have a real chance of pushing City and potentially Manchester United to go in and win the Premier League. And if you're looking at any quote-unquote potential value there, plus 726, it breaks my Manchester United supporting heart to do it. But I think that Liverpool, with with Diaz and Jota from the get-go in this season, season two for Nunez and Gakpo, uh, with the signings of of McAllister and Shobasly. I think this team is legit. They're deep. They have attacking weapons. They play the, the game, the, the modern game, the way it's supposed to be played. I like Liverpool actually to go on and win the Premier League this season. Yeah, exactly the same as me. Um, you, know, you mentioned it there, the data from an attacking perspective was there last season. It was just, just defence, they were all over the shop. And, you know, they, like, yeah. let's not forget, this is a team that have blown hot and cold over the past few seasons. You know, they won the title in 1920. They scraped into the top four the following campaign. They had a lot of injuries. You know, they're probably a bit of a hangover there. Um, and that, that season they scraped into the top four. They won eight of the last 10. So they carried a serious bit of form into the following campaign, which they nearly yeah. won the quadruple. Um, and obviously last season they finished really strongly again, won seven of an unbeaten 10 to close out. Only City picked up more points, but only but Liverpool picked up the most expected points and had the best underlying process across that last 10-game period. So they finished the season in a really, really strong manner that, for me, is kind of a bit of a catapult into this season, especially with the signings and the additions. And you've got Darwin Nunes, who's going to have more minutes under his belt. He's adapted. He's, you know, it's a new city, new country, new language he's having to learn, new style of football. 
He's going to be better this season. Luis Diaz back to full fitness. Cody Gakpo, the same as Nunes. So I think there's a lot of upside and a lot of really, uh, a lot to like about Liverpool. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think Liverpool are the play. The top four markets also available in terms of futures on Pinnacle. For me, I know you might look at things a little bit different. I think nine different teams have a little bit legitimate chance at finishing top four. You might think I'm crazy. Um, so I do think that there's some value as you go down that list of nine, the, the nine favorites listed on Pinnacle right now. Um, do you have a, top, a favorite top four play when you're looking at the markets? Yeah, it'd be Newcastle, plus 155. I, I think that's a big number. I, I'm not too sure why they are a bigger price than United and Chelsea. I would personally have them as the in the in the top four. You know, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Newcastle is what I've got. And, you know, the reason for that is the underlying numbers were sensational last season. Their expected points, the third most in the league, the second best overall process in the league. So a continuance of that is kind of, you know, makes them almost a shoe in really, unless there's a remarkable improvement from either United or Chelsea. Um, the only slight difference is the midweek European matches, but they've got a very deep squad. You know, they, they've just brought in Harvey Barnes, which means that they've got Harvey Barnes backed up by Anthony Gordon. Um, and then the other side, you've got Alexander Isak backed up by Jacob Murphy, who might not be a household name, but he was very good when he was called upon last season. Um, you've also brought in Sandro Tonales playing midfield. That will free Grimeris up a bit more to play more box to box and try and get him more scoring positions to strengthen the midfield. Um, yeah, I generally just think they're a team to be feared. I don't think any team will look forward to playing Newcastle whatsoever because they're a difficult team to break down. They're very well organized at the back and they've got some real star quality going forward. And, um, Chelsea have got a lot of potential upside, but it's just potential at this stage. And Newcastle are much more consistent than Man United, in my opinion. I know what I'm going to get week in, week out with Newcastle. With Man United, it's very hit and miss last season. There were some game weeks where you were like, wow, they are fantastic. They could be challenging for the title. And then there's some game weeks and you watch them and you'd be like, right, well, they should be in a relegation battle. So Newcastle were kind of steady, Eddie. They had a little bit of a wobble where they didn't win for a while, but the performances were still fairly steady. They were still creating the chances, just not converting. So for me, I'm happy. Draw Castle. Draw Castle. They're, they're going to have to turn those draws into wins this year, though. They didn't have to last their season. Their home form... Though. 14 draws and still picked up but 71 points. That was last they season. Lost five times. This season, they now have, this season they now have Champions League football. And that depth, how good it actually is, is really going to be tested this year. Didn't go deep and really deep in cup competitions. It was rather straightforward for them when their true competitors at the top of the table were playing midweek weekend football uh, all the time. This is new territory for Eddie Howe as well. I do have some questions. Liverpool's home form was outstanding last year. The second best expected points uh, at home. I, I, I'm not touching them for a top four. I think people are sleeping on Brighton. Plus 600 to finish top four. I think they were a legitimate threat to be top four. I understand they, they lost McAllister. They might lose Caicedo, but if we know anything about Brighton and the way that this club operates, they'll replace really good players with better players. And I think their summer window has been outstanding. Bruggen, the goalkeeper, I, I think he's excellent. He has a chance to really solidify that position. They were bouncing around between Sanchez and Steele at the end of last season. He can step in and, and be a real factor. The Hood, the center back Igor, Jao Pedro can play. He's, he's had experience at the, at, the, at the Premier League level. The experience of James Milner, and who knows if they're done. And this is building off the young players like Encisco and, and, and Ferguson and young players who stepped in and showed that they belong. Matoma, like, I think, and I think that they honestly have the most progressive manager outside of Pep Guardiola in all the Premier League in, in Deserby. All of their metrics last season, they were top four based upon expected points, expected goal differential, all those categories that reveal what they are last season. And another season with Deserby from the start. At plus 600, Brighton have every chance of finishing top four. I think they're going to have another outstanding campaign as long as they can keep their manager and keep some of these players here through January. If they can keep Caicedo, it's an absolute bonus as well. Brighton plus 600, for me, it's a no-brainer. There's some great value there. Uh, I hope you're right because I'm a big <clears throat> lover of Brighton, their model, the way in which they play. I just think top four is a bit of a stretch. Like I said at the start of the show, I think that the the establishment will be back with a force, with a vengeance. They won't have liked seeing you know Liverpool finishing outside the top four, Chelsea bottom half, Spurs missing out on Europe altogether. They, they'll not have liked that. And I think obviously Brighton have got midweek football to contend with as well this time around. Spurs and Chelsea don't. So I think they've got that going against them. 
So yeah, I, I personally, I would be hugely surprised if anybody apart from the big seven, should we call them now, uh, with Newcastle in there, do finish inside the top seven, uh, top four. So, so the two of you include big seven. I'm guessing it's Villa and Brighton that you <laughs> exclude from that yeah, conversation. Yeah. So. Basically, yeah, basically okay. the top six or the big six plus Newcastle. All right. Uh, and finally, the relegation market. Uh, Luton, minus 300 to go down. Sheffield United, minus 165. Bournemouth, plus 200. Forest, plus 200. Burnley, plus 250. Any of those jump off the page for you? Or is there anyone else that you want to include that there could be some value in the relegation market? Um, it's all, I, I always I always don't like the relegation market preseason. Just for the main reason being... You can look like an absolute genius halfway through the season if you've picked Everton to go down at plus 600 or Wolves at plus 500. And then you get to the January transfer window, they bring in a new manager, bring in some players, and your genius is out the window because they survive because of in-season changes. So I'm always very wary of wading in at this stage of the season, given the fact that there is such a high turnover in managers, high turnover in players throughout the campaign, that things can change in an instant. So I'm... Generally, I'm quite happy to kind of just avoid this relegation betting. Um, I'll give my opinion in terms of who I think will go down. I do think there's just one place up for grabs. I think Luton and Sheffield United will go down. And then it's just, for me, it's between Forest, Everton and Wolves. Maybe Fulham if Marco Silva exits as well as um, Mitrovic. But they've been well found in the market. You know, they were, they were, but they were all, oh, Fulham and Wolves were about plus 500 around the start of July. And they're now into plus 350. So, you know, there's there's been some support. Yeah. Let let me take that. And I agree with you in your sentiment about the relegation market, but when you see red flags, I need to follow them. Wolves plus three fifty to go down. I think they're a club in some real problems, whether it's financial fair play, the the sounds come and 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 what Lopetegui's been saying would concern me if I was a Wolves fan. They lose two of their staples in the midfield, at least that kept them consistent. And Neves and Matinho both out. Collins is out. Uh, Jimenez out up top. This is a team that really struggled for goals anyways. I know that he just never returned to the player that he was before the head injury. But still, that that's a lot of core players that have gone on and left that club. And it might not stop there. And I just don't see the recruitment uh, and this club having enough financial might to go out and make a difference. At plus 350, Jake, that's one that's too good to, to – to ignore for me. I mean, I, I think that Forrest could be dragged into the relegation into the bottom three as well. Um, because really it was a goalkeeper on loan that saved their season, to be honest with you, um, last year and the volatility at that club, uh, plus 250. I'm tempted by that, but Wolves for me, plus 350. I think there's some legitimate concern. And if you look at the numbers last season, like in terms of expected points, um, expected goal differential, they were either at the bottom or right near the bottom last season. Wolves were bad last season. I think it's going to be even worse this season. Yeah, I, I don't really have too much arguments to that. Um, the only thing I would say is that they are a team or a club that are owned by fairly wealthy owners. And if they don't have a FFP issue and things are going badly, then they will invest in January like they did last season. I mean, they, they spent, what, $40 million on Mateus Cunha? Um, they brought in is it Jao Gomez that came in as well. Um, they still got Matthias Nunez there as well from last season. Um, so they're, they're more than like more than capable of just completely scuppering this bet by spending big in January again. Like I wouldn't at all put it beyond them to be able to do that. They've obviously got a lot of Portuguese links. I'm sure Jorge Mendes will be you know ringing the Wolves line. I've got this player for you if you want him, and no doubt yet we'll get him on. Well, but the the, the, the problem the problem is that they've had to sell this summer. There's no evidence that they can go on and spend. You've heard it from Lopetegui as well. And in terms of the recent signings, there's been more misses than hits. Um, I'll, I'll say that about. Yeah, about I, I am always wary of just you know second to the bottom in expected points last season. Only born with yeah. I just mean I mean the with the players. Like so. I, I'm always wary of Ryan what like players off after one season, especially if they've just come from a foreign league. Uh, they generally take a while to, to bed in settling that. I think that some of the players that they signed last season will be better, um, whether it'll be enough or not. I still think they'll be in the bottom five. You know, I don't think they're going to be sailing clear of relegation, but um, with one place up for grabs, you can make an argument for a handful, really. Just a few minutes left here. Uh, we want to unveil our projected or predicted... 
um, final table in the Premier League for this season. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult exercise, especially at this juncture of the season. But why not? This is kind of how we're looking at things. So, uh, Jake, if you want to bat lead off here and walk us through your thinking in terms of your positioning of all the teams in the Premier League, 1 through 20. Yeah, let's start off at the top. So, as I said... Two things can be true. I can, I think Man City are the most likely winners of the Premier League, but I don't think there's any value. I think the value is elsewhere. So I've got Man City top. Um, I've got Arsenal, Liverpool, second, third, and I've got Newcastle creeping into the top four because I'm quite high on them. United, Chelsea, top six, um, and then Spurs rounding off those European places. Like I said, I do think it's going to be a case of the big seven finishing in the top seven. Um, Brighton, I think, will be the best of the rest again. I think they've got a lot of um, room between themselves and Villa in terms of a performance data. Um, I've then, I've got Villa 9, Brentford 10. I think they'll finish in the top half again against uh, above West Ham in 11th. I think the only issue with Brentford and why they probably can't push higher for me is that Ivan Tony's going to be missing for a, a stretch of the season to start off with. Bournemouth 12th. I think they'll they'll be fairly comfortable this season about Areola. Burnley Got Crystal Palace dropping a few places um, to 14th. And then Fulham at 15. They're the one that I was um and ah with as to whether to go lower. But I think they, you know, if Mitrovic does go, I think they will bring in enough to survive. Um, and then the bottom five, I found really difficult to split. I've got Sheffield United bottom, Luton second bottom, and I did go with Everton to get relegated. Um, their data last season under Dyche was not impressive whatsoever. I'm not a massive fan of their squad. Soured on your, are you soured on your guide, Sean Dyche? There's going to be a Dyche-ing approach from the get-go of the season. They have to survive under Sean Dyche, don't I just they? don't see where the goals are coming from and the creativity is coming from. You know, even Nottingham Forest, you look at them and they've got Morgan Gibbs-White and Brennan Johnson and Tawai uh, Awonyi who can score, you know, create chances to score goals out of nothing. Everton... You're relying on Dominic Carvert-Lewin, who, let's be fair, is like basically a man made out of biscuits at this stage. Like he just cannot stay fit, um, and you just cannot pin your hopes on a player like that as being the sole. They're going to have that. They're going to have to add a striker. They'll, they'll they have, they have to, yeah. yeah. But again, they're in the same kind of financial situation as Wolves. Got to have outgoings before you can have incomings, and yeah. they haven't really got any players that they can sell for a decent fee to be able to bring in a top striker because top strikers nowadays, or even not even top strikers, you're probably looking at. 25, 30 million for a striker who's going to get you 10 goals in the Prem. Um, then I've got Forest 17, Wolves 16. So not too much kind of, I guess, risks being, it's very, very safe, very safe. Very safe. Um, but I, I think, I think on. it's going to be one of those seasons where it's going to be back to the norm, if you like, where you've got the, the traditional big teams right at the top. Um, and the, yeah, struggle at the bottom. Your picks are like basically a Sunday afternoon drive through the country. Minor Saturday night out in the town. Let's go. Um, if we bring up my for, uh, projections for this season, I have Liverpool winning the league. I have Manchester United finished second. I, I, look, I think that they were flawed last season, the first season under Eric Ten Hogg. I trust this manager. I think their recruitment has been very good, and I don't think that they're done. Um, I think they can take advantage of in, in terms of being a more progressive team in the way that they play and take advantage of a Manchester City team. I think we'll take a step back in the Premier League. They might very go well go on and win the FA Cup and the Champions League again, but doing it all over again in the Premier League, I, I just think it takes its toll. And players like Maraz and Gundogan, these players were like big pieces of the team. What if Walker goes as well? I just be interested to see where the city team ends up bright in the top four for the aforementioned reasons. I think this team's going to be better th- than they were last year and all the data uh, under Deserby, they were top four caliber all season long last year. And some of these young players, s- some more legs, some more time um, in the Premier League. I think they're going to be very good this year. I've Arsenal. This is my controversial one. Arsenal outside the top five. I said earlier in the podcast, I'm not convinced they've improved that much. Of course, Declan Rice is a phenomenal player. I don't think he had his best campaign last year, to be honest with you. Um, still a very good player, a good addition, but I still think that they're weak at fullback. I, I question the wide areas, how they're going to be able to take step fo- steps forward and be that much better. I've asked in Villa 6. I think they've recruited excellently. Pau Torres and Steele. Um, add Thielmans into the equation on a free. That's fine. That's midfield depth. Last season, I think he had a stroll in the park. And Diaby, some more legs going forward as well. I, I, I think that they, Unai Emery, 
showed what you can do with a really good manager. He turned things around. I think Villa are going to be a team, really difficult team. It was between them and Newcastle in terms of sixth place. I have Newcastle just below. We'll see. I don't love their signings, and we'll see what Champions League football does to their priority, does to their season. Chelsea 8th, they have a lot of players leaving, a lot of question marks, but I do think they'll continue to spend out uh, and solve some of those issues. Uh, Brentford, I have them at ninth because despite you know these players – you know, Tony not being available for the first seven, eight months of the season. Collins is a good pickup. Flecken's a good pickup. And it's about their style of play under Thomas Frank. That seems the most. I love the play over 46 and a half points on this season. 46 and a half points for Brentford. I'll hit that over any day of the week in terms of what the market suggests. Spurs, baseball, and Kane, 10th. Then you go down Palace, Bournemouth, West Ham. I mean, West Ham, I, I toiled with them. They could go lower depending on how this market goes for them. Uh, Burnley, Everton surviving the, sh- surviving the, sh- the two Sean Dyche sides. And I have Wolves in the relegation zone with Luton and Nottingham Forest. I just, I think there's a volatility about Forest that makes me put that, put them in the bottom three just because I'm not sure how things are going to play out week to week at this club. You're right. They do have more talent and attack. I think they're a mess at the back. Haven't got their goalkeeping situation sorted. So those are my bottom three. Um, I think that a, a good place to take this after you provide some commentary on what I provided here, that we go through some of maybe the value plays in terms of future point totals um, to round out the podcast. But uh, I swung a little bit bigger with Brighton. Arsenal coming out of the top four, I think that that will always be controversial. But it's going to be competitive, and I don't think anything's a given for the Arsenal this season. Um, Yeah, I I think Arsenal will continue to run at a similar level to title contending Manchester City and Liverpool. So, yeah, we, there's a lot of disagreement actually between our 1 to 20s. I didn't think there'd be this much. Um, you know, you've, you've got Newcastle, Chelsea, Spurs all lower than me. Arsenal a lot lower. Um, United, obviously, you've got them second. I've got them fifth. Luton, you know, that, I've, we've only got one that we agree on in terms of the relegation candidates. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, and I, yeah, yeah we're, we're coming at this from a complete opposite kind of viewpoint, aren't we? You think it's going to be pure chaos like last season. I think it's going to be more towards the norm in terms of, yeah, the establishment, the big budget, big boys rising to the top again. So it'd be really interesting to see how it actually plays out. Well, it's it, as we get into our match week, I'll be fading Arsenal early in the season and I'll be backing Brighton and Aston Villa as two sides that I think there might be some value in the market. Same goes for Brentford as well. So this is just how you kind of using the data, using your perception on how you feel about these teams, it will kind of dictate how we kind of try to navigate the first couple of weeks of the uh, of the new Premier League season. Let's round things off in terms of individual team totals. They're all provided in the future section on Pinnacle. Any value either other either for the over or the under for respective teams in the table? Where, where do you find or can find some perceived value? So I've got three that I've uh, highlighted. So Aston Villa over 58.5 at plus 191. Um, I, I just thought the, the price more than anything was a big number. Um, yeah, I got that too. I'm, I'm there as well, well. You know, I think it'll be touch and go. I think they, they might end up with, you know, I could see them end up with anything between 55 and 61 like they got last year. Um, Bournemouth over 38.5 at minus 130. Uh, that looks big. You know, you generally need 38 points to survive. Um, I think Bournemouth will survive fairly comfortably. So I think that that's fairly, um, you know, that, that's kind of rather than fading Bournemouth relegation, you can actually, you know, back the over, over total. Um, and I've got Chelsea under 67.5 at minus 115. Now, I still think they'll finish in the top six. But, you know, you look at last season and there wasn't an awful lot of points required to finish in that top six. So um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them finish, you know, hit maybe 64, between 64 and 70. Um, so, yeah, I'm more than happy to take the unders on that one. I think, yeah, I do think they'll have they'll, they'll definitely improve. The league position will be higher. But I don't think the points total necessarily should be that high. I mean, you compare it to Liverpool and Arsenal and then they're not at that level yet. I'm, I'm on all three. We're in agreement on Villa over, Bournemouth over, Chelsea under. A couple others I'll just point out quickly. If you like Liverpool to compete for a title, over 75.5 at minus 115, you know, and, and I like them. That's a, that's a logical play for me. Same thing if I have Manchester United second, 
uh, over 72 and a half. They had 75 points last season. So this number suggests that they'll be worse off than they were a season before. I just don't see it. I'm over Brighton 56 and a, and a half. They had 62 points last season, and I think they can be better as well. Uh, I, I hate making all these overplays. Brentford, same thing, over 46 and a half. I, I am on Spurs under 61 and a half. They had 60 points last season. And again, with the Kane variable, um, I'm comfortable at minus 115, making it under Spurs play 61 and a half. Uh, and then obviously I'm looking at Wolves under 39 and a half. I have him as a relegation candidate at minus 102. Uh, that'll be a play that I'm making um, as well. Re- remember, 40 points was what, 14th place last season? Relegation was 34. So this whole f- notion of getting to 40 points and, so, it, it, you know, how many teams, five or six teams didn't even make 40 points last season in the Premier League. Uh, anything else to add uh, on this final thoughts on this extended uh, season preview edition of EPL Insights? No, nothing for me. Just, um, yeah, just enjoy it because I think it's going to be another cracking campaign. And, you know, we don't have a mid-season World Cup this time to kind of split things up. And, uh, right. and you know, you're going to have a lot of more consistency throughout rather than a lot of stop-starts. So, yeah, I think that definitely will help from a predicting persp- perspective and obviously generating our betting tips. Yeah, for, for betters, that's certainly the best news. Possible consistency in your plays and ho- hopefully consistency in output as well. Uh, keep your eyes out across Pinnacle's website, the betting resources pages for plenty of written content from Andrew Beasley, our good friend Andrew, including analyzing kickoff times, bookings, and soon to, in upcoming, he's going to go in depth in terms of expected points breakdowns ahead. Follow us at Pinnacle Sports on YouTube, Twitter, or X, or whatever you call it, at Pinnacle at pinnacle.betting on Instagram. Great stuff, Jake. Uh, all of our future plays have been made official. Uh, good luck to you. More luck to me. <laughs> and let's see how this season plays out. Next week, uh, game week one in the Premier League and a complete breakdown of all 10 games is coming your way. On behalf of Jake and everyone here at Pinnacle, I am Gareth Wheeler. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week.